Praise God. Well, let's let's just let's all pray together this morning. God, we just want to pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, just come and touch our hearts, God. We want to meet with you today. So come and challenge us. Come and speak to us, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we've already had a great morning, haven't we? Can we thank Laura and Nicola and James and Bancoli and Leone? That was awesome this morning. Um, for those that were here last week, I want to continue um, a series I started last week, um, the word established. And if you missed uh, the first part of this series, then you can catch up um, on the podcast on iTunes. Uh, but we looked last week at God's throne and the fact that God's throne is established. Amen. That God's throne is an eternal throne. It is a, we are part of an eternal kingdom. Are you glad about that? One that cannot be shaken. That's what the Bible tells us. So it doesn't matter what is going on in the world politically, economically. It doesn't matter what is going on in your life or your circumstances today. God is seated on the throne. He rules, he reigns, he has all power, he has all authority. His throne is established and his kingdom cannot be shaken. Amen? Um, you know, I, was, I shared this on Wednesday night at 7.14, but um, I was watching, like many of us been watching, um, all the, the news coverage of, um, of, of the Queen and everything that's been going on over the past week. Although I was telling James I turned it off yesterday because I thought there's only so much I can watch people walking past a coffin where it's like, okay, that's, I think I've heard all the stories, all the anecdotes about the Queen. I know everything about the Queen now. Um, although, of course, I'll be watching, uh, watching the funeral um, uh, tomorrow, but um, I, I was watching uh, one of the news broadcasters, I can't remember who it was, but um, I, I was just watching, and do you ever have those moments where somebody says something and they don't realize what they're saying, and as a Christian, you're just like, hallelujah. Uh, they were talking about the way our constitutional monarchy works, and if you remember, was it just over a week ago that uh, Boris Johnson went to see the Queen? And he handed in his resignation as Prime Minister, which uh, the Queen accepted. And about 50 minutes later, um, Liz Truss went in and the Queen asked her, will you form a government in my name? And she accepted. Um, and so there was about 50 minutes where there was no Prime Minister of this country. I don't know what would have happened if there'd have been a war or anything like that. But for 50 minutes, there was no one politically in charge of, of our country. But the broadcaster said this, with the monarchy, it's different. He said, the moment the queen died, the crown passed to Charles. And this is what he said. Um, and as soon as he said these words, I was like, shikaro sukura. <coughs> He said, there must always be someone seated on the throne. And I thought, hallelujah, Jesus. I know one <coughs> who is always seated on the throne. In Isaiah 6, you know it well, I was sharing this with the youth on, um, on Friday night. In the year, <coughs> excuse me, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Um, um, 
Uzziah had been king for about 52 years over Israel. Not quite as long as a queen, but still a pretty good shift. So you imagine over 50 years, this monarch had ruled and reigned, and for the most part was a pretty good king. And yet he died. And yet Isaiah said, I looked up and I saw there was one seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe fills the temple. Amen? Who knows that today we can look up and see that there is one whose throne has been established. And yet, as we looked at last week, um, there's a tension. And we read this in the book of Hebrews. It says of Jesus, the son of man, that everything is above him. Amen? And we celebrate that and rejoice with that as Christians. But it says, although everything is above him, we don't yet see everything subject to him. Who knows, that's a tension that we live in as Christians. That Theologically, we know Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, Jesus has conquered. And yet, when we look around us, who knows, we still see sin. We still see suffering. We still see injustice. We still see uh, the effects of this fallen world. But I love what it says in Hebrews. At the moment, we don't see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. Hallelujah. And who knows, Jesus came not to establish a new religion, but he came to bring a kingdom. That what is established in heaven, the throne of God, the kingdom of God, will be established here on earth. Amen. We want to see God's kingdom established in Kingswood, right? We want to see the kingdom of God established here in our nation. And of course, as Keith always reminds us whenever he's leading prayer, Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what I want to talk about this morning is, you know, that's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? Who knows, Jesus told us to pray big prayers. And it doesn't get much bigger than heaven come to earth. But what I want to touch on this morning, and you can preach on that, of course. You can talk about revival. You can talk about the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. But what I want to talk about, because who knows, it starts in us. God, let your kingdom be established in me. God, this little bit of earth here, let heaven come. Let the kingdom of God come. Establish your kingdom in me. <coughs> so, how does God do it? Um, turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want us to look, um, if we've got time this morning, which we should have, three ways in which God's kingdom can be established in our lives. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 9, God says, The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on earth. If, everyone say if, you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So the first way in which God's kingdom 
comes. And this is where maybe the amens get a little bit quieter. Obedience. Obedience to the king. God promises here, I will establish you as my holy people. And if you study that word there in, in the Hebrew, it means to establish, it means to strengthen, it means to raise up, and it means to cause to stand. So God promises on earth, that's what I'm going to do for you. I am going to establish you. I am going to strengthen you. I am going to raise you up. I am going to cause you to stand. Who's going to do it? God is. You know, we live in a world, don't we, where everyone wants to raise themselves up. We, and we try sometimes in our own strength to, um, to kind of be strong and be the best that we can be. God says, I'll do it. My Holy Spirit will establish you. My Holy Spirit will strengthen you. My Holy Spirit will cause you to stand. My Holy Spirit will raise you up. But there's a condition. The condition is that you obey the commands of the king. <clears throat> Who knows he's a king of love. And we love the love of God. And we love the grace of God. And we love the kindness of God. And we preach a lot on the love and the goodness and the mercy of God. But there's a balance, isn't there? In that he's still king. And he's still a king that commands. And the Bible tells us that God's commands, God's word is established. And I know that we live in the new covenant and not the old covenant. But Jesus tells us that heaven and earth may pass away. But my words will never pass away. So who knows that this book tells us how to live our lives. This book tells us the commands, the decrees of the king. Who knows God commands us, don't lie. God commands us, don't steal. God commands us, don't commit sexual immorality, which is anything outside of the marriage covenant between a man and and a woman. The Bible commands us, don't gossip. Hello? The Bible tells us, forgive your enemies. The king commands, love each other. Now, I know that some of those things, they're not easy on our flesh, are they? And that's why we need the grace of God. And we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But there's still the part we have to play, which is submission, yieldedness. God, I surrender to what you say. God, I choose to live my life in obedience to the word of God and to the command of the king. <clears throat> and God promises here, if you obey me, I will establish you as mine. Reminds me of the story Jesus tells in Matthew 7, 
of the wise and the foolish builders. Jesus spoke about one man who built his house on the sand and one man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, when the winds came, when the waters came, the house that was built on the sand collapsed. But the house that was built on the rock was established. That means that no matter what came against that house, it would stand firm. It would stand strong. And the parable there is obvious that who knows, the storms of life, difficulties come to all of us. And those who are established will stay strong, will stay standing, will survive. But those who are not established, everything will fall apart the moment difficulty comes. And Jesus tells us what the house built on the rock is. He who hears my word, well, if it was only that, we'd, we'd be okay, wouldn't we? But it's not just that. He who hears my word and does it, obeys it. It's not enough just to read the word. It's not enough just to come on a Sunday and hear the word. We actually have to obey the king. We actually have to do what God says and live our lives according to the commands of the king that are found in the word of God. Amen. And I know that it may not be politically correct. I know that culture has changed. Time has changed. But I still believe the promise of God. That if you obey me, I will establish you. And I will establish your house as belonging to me. Amen. And we have to make that choice. No matter what everyone else is doing, no matter how anyone else chooses to live, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Um, Proverbs 16 says, verse 12, kings detest <coughs> wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings detest wrongdoing. Who knows that we are kings and priests? Amen? So it doesn't just say that you reluctantly obey the king. It doesn't just mean, oh, I'll get away, I'll see how much I can get away with, or oh, I can sin today because I know that I can repent afterwards. It says, no, those are the kings. They hate wickedness. They hate wrongdoing. Their hearts have been so changed that they no longer want to disobey the king. Kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness. In other words, wherever there is righteousness, wherever there is right living, there the kingdom is established. So who knows, you can establish the kingdom of God in your workplace. You can establish the kingdom of God in that office. You can establish the kingdom of God in that school or that college. 
You can establish the kingdom of God in your home. You can establish the kingdom of God in your neighborhood. How? Righteousness. When you decide, I am going to live a life of integrity. I am going to live a life of honesty. I am going to live a life of serving others, putting others above myself. I am going to live a life of kindness. I am going to live a life um, putting the king first in everything I do. Is this okay this morning? When you live a life like that, there the throne is established. Wherever there is righteousness, there the kingdom is established. So you can establish the kingdom of God in your workplace this week. You can establish the kingdom of God in your home this week. When you say, I don't care what everyone else does, I'm going to talk differently. I'm going to think differently. My heart is going to be different. I'm living a life that demonstrates the king. When you do that, there the kingdom comes. In John chapter 2, Jesus does his first miracle, which is a miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And it says this, that it was there that Jesus revealed his doxa in Greek. It's translated in our Bible as glory. can also mean honor or wealth or splendor or exaltation. In other words, it's a royal word. It's a kingdom word. It was there as Jesus turned the water into wine that Jesus revealed the glory of his kingdom, the splendor of his kingdom. It was there that the king was exalted. Now, who turned the water into wine? It's not a trick question. Jesus, amen? But who knows, that miracle would not have happened without the the obedience of people. It was, a, it was the bunch of servants who got the, the, the jars of water and filled them to the brim because Jesus told them. And then they gave it to the master of the banquet to pour out, risking ridicule if it hadn't worked. But they got the words of Mary ringing in their ears. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And as they responded to that word, Jesus did the miracle And the kingdom came to that wedding. Friends, whatever he tells you to do, do it. When you wake up tomorrow, and I was going to say when you're about your business, although there won't be much business happening tomorrow, will there? Because everything's shut. But starting Tuesday, when you wake up with that attitude, the people that I meet, the places that I go, the place that I work, I am going in with that mindset. Whatever the king tells me to do, I'm going to do it. If he tells me to say that word, if he tells me to show that act of kindness, if he tells me not to say that word, (laughs) you know, whatever it may be, I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to obey the king. Do you know what happens? Your obedience opens up the door for his power. 
And when your power, when his power and your obedience come together, there is a kingdom of God. Amen. So, um, obey the king brings the kingdom. But let, let's just go back to a moment, back to Deuteronomy 28. He says, the Lord will establish you, verse 9, as his holy people, as he promised you on earth. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God, then it says this, and if you walk in his ways. Everyone say, keep the commands. Everyone say, walk in his ways. Obey his commands is pretty straightforward. It's find some commands in the Bible and do them. Yeah? Or if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, do it. But walking his ways is different. That is speaking about the character of God. The nature of God. Who knows, it's actually, I know it's not easy, but it's at least straightforward obeying the commands of God. But walking in the ways of God, who knows, that's a lot harder. That means actually walking like Jesus. Actually being like Jesus. Psalm 25 says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me. Your paths. Who thinks that would be a great prayer to pray this week? God, I want to walk in your ways. God, teach me your paths, your character, your nature. What is God like? Well, he's loving. Amen. He's kind. He's faithful. He's generous. He's hopeful. He's consistent. He's forgiving. He's passionate. We could go on and on and on. When you say, God, I want to walk in your ways, what are we praying? God, I want to walk like you. God, I want to be like Jesus. 1 John 2 says this, who, and this is a challenging scripture. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Don't say amen to that, say ouch to that. Because who knows, we would all claim to belong to him. Yeah? Every person here, I was like, who belongs to Jesus? Yeah, amen, all of us. Well, John there says, if it's okay to claim it, but it's not about what you claim. It's not about what you sing. It's how you walk. It's how you live. If you claim to belong to him, you must walk as Jesus did. This is how he establishes his kingdom. Can you imagine how transformed Kingswood would be if there was a bunch of people who did what God said and lived like Jesus? Talk about revival. Well, I've got enough to work on with me, so forget you lot. God, I want to do what you say this week. And I want to live like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me show you something. In Exodus 33, 
Moses says to God, if you are pleased with me, verse 13, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So Moses prays what we've just been talking about. God, teach me your ways. God, I want to be like you. I want to I walk like you. God, teach me your ways. Now notice the response of God. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Hallelujah. When Moses said, God, teach me your ways, God didn't give him an instruction manual saying, here's how you live like me. He didn't give him a, and this is for all the, those that grew up in youth in the 1990s, a what would Jesus do wristband. Instead, he gave him his presence and said, if you want to walk with, like me, abide in my presence. As you abide in my presence, as you live a life of intimacy with me, then you can start to walk like me. You see, knowing his ways is impossible outside of the presence. Amen? But it's only in intimacy, it's only in abiding in him that we are transformed to become like him. Um, you know, all the footage and coverage that we've seen of the Queen over the past week or so, um, I don't know about anyone else, but the bits I found the most interesting is people that have told us what she was like as a person. Anyone else? You know, you hear people come on kind of the historians and they'll say, oh, she was born here and she met Prince Philip in this year and she became queen this year and she went on this trip and that trip. And I'm like, that's great, but I could find that out myself on Wikipedia. But it's when people talk about her humor or, you know, what, what she was like with her grandkids and you think, oh, wow, that's, that's fascinating. But who knows? It's only the people that have known her and spent time with her that can tell us what she's really like. Anyone can come up with facts and information. And it's the same with our king. Anyone who you get a bit of Bible knowledge, you can tell us all the information there is about God. But it's only those that know him that can tell us what he's like. It's only those who have abided in his presence that can truly tell us what the heart of God is is like. And throughout the Bible and throughout history, there's always been a difference between those who have known about God and those who have intimately known God. It says of the children of Israel that they knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. We know of course about the Pharisees who had all who knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. So when Jesus came, they ended up crucifying him. They ended up rejecting him. To walk like him, we first have to walk with him. Say that again. To walk like him, we first have to walk 
with him. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Who knows, it's not about just church once a week on a Sunday. It's about a walk with God. A life of intimacy with God. Where every day we say, God, I'm spending time with you today. I'm spending time in prayer. I'm spending time in worship. I'm spending time in the scriptures. I'm spending time listening to your voice. Waiting on you. Moses, he had that tent and meeting where he would go in every day. And see God face to face. Friends, there's nothing that changes us more than a face to face with Jesus. Where every day we just look at him and gaze upon him. Moses came out with his face shining. Who knows, our walk, our countenance, everything changes when we've been in the presence of the king. It says of the early church that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They walk differently because they spent time with the king. Amen? So, how is God's kingdom established in us? Number one, through obedience. Number two, through intimacy. And number three, last one, surrender. Surrender. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your paths. Who's ever had something in their life not work? Maybe that relationship hasn't worked. Maybe that job has not worked. Maybe that ministry has not worked. And when things kind of that we try, that we plan, don't work, we can often come out with this kind of spiritual nonsense. Oh, well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, my heart was in the right place. And, you know, now listen, I am a simple person, okay? And I just choose to believe the Bible. And the Bible tells me that if I commit stuff to God, He will establish my plans. Now that word there, establish, it, it means firm, reliable, fixed, certain. Other translations translate these as succeed. Do you know that God wants your plans to succeed? Hello? God wants your marriage to be a success. God wants your ministry to be a success. God wants his church to succeed. God wants your children to be established in the faith. Amen? God wants your career, your finances to, to have success. Come on, someone. Do we believe this stuff? It's what God says. I, I want to establish, I want your plans to succeed. But what's the catch? Commit to the Lord all your plans and then he will cause them to succeed. Now that word commit, is the Hebrew word galau and it means to turn or to roll over. 
In other words, if you want something to succeed, you have to turn it over to Jesus. That's why I don't like some translations say acknowledge. That if you just acknowledge God, he will establish your plans. You know, who knows? We can all acknowledge. We can all say, oh, God, have your way in this thing that I'm going to do that I've not consulted you about. But actually to, to roll over, to hand over, this is what it means. I give it fully to the king. And I give up my right to be in control. I give up my right to interfere. I give up my right to have an opinion. I give up my right to kind of give God a helping hand. Now who knows, that's easier said than done. God, I give, I hand my children over to you. God, I hand my ministry over to you. God, I hand this problem to you. I roll it over to you. I yield fully to you. You remember there was a man in the Old Testament. You remember when David was taking the ark to Jerusalem? And the oxen that was transporting the ark fell. And there was a man, Achan, who tried to help the ark, tried to protect the ark. And he put out his hand and God struck him down dead. What's wrong with giving God a helping hand? Well, it's acknowledging that you don't truly recognize him as God. You truly don't recognize him as king. God, I take my hands off of whatever I've committed to you. God promises, if you hand it to me, I'll establish it. If you try and control it, you're on your own, son. God, right now, those things that we're worried about, those things that we're anxious about, anxiety and worry are a sign that we've not fully handed it over to the king. When you say, God, I give it fully to you. I yield to you. Catherine Coleman said, there came a day when I surrendered unto him all there was of me. Everything. Then for the first time, I realized what it meant to have real power. You see, worship, true worship, is submission. True worship is brokenness. True worship is being lowly before God. It's God, I'm not standing here demanding that you do what I tell you to do. It's not standing here demanding an explanation for why this has happened or that's happened. True worship is found in humility and lowliness and brokenness and say, God, I surrender everything to you. And perhaps one of the greatest things that we need to surrender is our right to understand. 
and are right for an answer and an explanation. And I want to I want to close with with this in John chapter 11 you read about the death of Lazarus. Bible tells us that <coughs> Jesus loved Lazarus and he loved his sister Martha and he loved his other sister Mary. And yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't do anything. And he finally turns up after Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. Can you imagine the questions that those two sisters would have had? Jesus, why have you allowed this to happen? Jesus, why is our family going through this? Jesus, why didn't you come when we asked you to come? Jesus, if you loved Lazarus like you said you loved him, if you love us like you say you love us, why the sickness? Why the bereavement? Why the lack of answered prayer? Have you ever been in that place where it's been like, why God? Why has my marriage failed? Why have my kids gone in this direction? Why did that ministry opportunity not work out? Why, God? The Bible tells us that Martha comes out to Jesus and they have a conversation. But Mary stays at, at home. But then, listen to this. After she, that's Martha, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. Now, if you've got questions, what better, what do you need but a teacher? Right? Could that have been a more perfect? I mean, very rarely do you actually hear, uh, you know, a real close person of, of Jesus just call him teacher. But she, she said, the teacher is here. In other words, the one who's got all the answers. You know, when, when my kids are at school and, you know, they, 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 they've got problems with their maths or whatever, ask a teacher. The teacher will know the answer. The teacher's here. He's, he can answer your questions. So it says all at once, Mary got up and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, listen to this, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, Lord. She didn't call him teacher. She called him Lord. In other words, adoration was more important than explanation. I don't care. I don't need a teacher. I don't care why it went wrong or why this happened. I don't want all the theological reasons. I, right now, I just fall at his feet and say, you're the Lord. doesn't matter why it happened. doesn't matter what went wrong, what I didn't do, what you didn't do. In this moment, the only thing that matters is falling on my knees. And worshiping the king.
Amen. I don't need to understand. I need you. When worship takes the place of understanding, there is the kingdom. When you're like God, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't have the explanation. I know that you do, but I'm not coming to you for an explanation. I'm coming to you to acknowledge you're the Lord. You're the king. I'm falling on my knees and worshipping you. Listen to this quote from Toza. The man of earth kneels to examine, to search, to find the cause and the how of things. The believing man kneels to worship. The believing man does not claim to understand. He falls to his knees and whispers, God. Wow. And here's the end of the story. Mary is weeping at his feet. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, he wept. He was moved by her worship. And what happened? The kingdom came. Resurrection came. If you read the conversation he had with Martha, they had an incredible theological debate. They're talking about the end times. They're talking about the resurrection. Jesus is revealed. It's an incredible theological discussion that they're, they're talking about. But it didn't move Jesus. What moved Jesus was the woman knelt at his feet. Saying, I don't need a teacher. I'm just here to worship the king. Listen, the answers would come later. The theology would come later. The teaching would come later. But the first thing is worship. I kneel at the feet of the king and say, even when I don't understand, I worship you.